Amen. Amen. Let's thank the Lord with our hands this morning. All right. All right. And as I mentioned before, today there won't be a kids worship service, so they get to visit and uh, learn about God's word with us this morning. We're, we're in the book of Luke. We just started a few weeks ago. If you're new to Revolution Church, again, welcome. We like to go through books of the Bible. We like to study the Bible the way that it's written, verse by verse, word by word, phrase by phrase. We previously finished the book of Genesis. Now we're in the New Testament in Luke. And our subtitle is Getting to Know the Real Jesus. A lot of people have a picture of what they think Jesus is. And it's a, a, a God of their own formation. We're supposed to not form God in our image, but we're supposed to be realized we're made in God's image. And so we're going to look at the real Jesus closely through Dr. Luke's writing of the gospel. And our scripture reader this morning is Stacy Ward. Welcome this morning, Stacy. How are you? Good. Would you read God's word for us as we follow along? And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit of the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up into his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there is a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She is advanced in years having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law Amen. of the Lord, they returned into Galilee. Galilee to their own town of Nazareth and the child grew and became strong filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him this is the word of the Lord sorry for the last few slides that was my fault I'm not sure what happened there <laughs> all right are you ready to learn God's word this morning amen uh, this is um this is a great passage um there's one place you can go in the world in Antarctica at the right time of the year and if you're at the right distance from the South Pole you can see the sunset and the sunrise at the same time and this is an amazing view here and it's a beautiful 
This is obviously time-elapsed photography showing you the stages of the sun going down and then turn around and coming right back up at the same time. And it's only at a certain time of year at a certain place on the planet where you see this. And this is a really beautiful picture of this passage right here. We have two people, Simeon and Anna, who are at the sunset of their life. They are old people. In fact, Simeon even says he's about to die and he will die shortly, Anna. Afterwards, Anna is 84, which is very old for those days. It's even old for today. And yet, the sunset is happening. They're seeing the baby Jesus. So you, you have sunset and sunrise at the same point in this passage. And I think that's a great illustration for, to get us started this morning. Here's how we're going to um, divide this passage up. So first of all, we have the presentation of Jesus as they bring him to the temple. Then there's the prophecy of Simeon. And then Anna's going to do a prophecy of her own, and then it ends with the progression of Jesus, how Jesus grows up as a young boy. And so it says, when the time had come for their purification, some translations say her purification. There's difference in, in the, some of the manuscripts, but there's no really confusion here because the their here is not talking about Jesus being purified and Mary being purified. It's talking about when women would be purified. So it's at the time when women got purified or their plural women, the time of their purification, according to Leviticus chapter 12. When a woman gave birth, obviously a lot of blood involved. Of course, you come in contact with blood. You have to set aside a time before you can go to the temple. And those are all pictures of holiness. There was nothing wrong with the woman. She hadn't done anything wrong. It wasn't purification because of sin. It was just purification because of blood. And, and in those days, everything was a picture of sanitization of the purification of forgiveness of sins. And all this was according to the law of Moses, which is so interesting here because Jesus says, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And here Jesus is a newborn baby who has no virtual choice in the matter as a newborn, but yet he's still fulfilling the law as a newborn. Everything is, is going perfectly here. In fact, the triune God, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in his total control of history, sovereignty, he has Jesus fulfilling the law at the very start as an infant because Jesus lived a perfect life. Amen? If, if Mary and Joseph had not been obedient to God, people could have said, well, Jesus, you weren't even circumcised at the right time. Your mother didn't go through purification. You didn't do anything. Even as an infant, they could say, see, your life is not just. Your life didn't fulfill the law. And he could say, well, I didn't have a choice in the matter. No, he did because he's sovereign God. He even orchestrated everything that his parents did. So they brought him up to Jerusalem. Anybody know what the word Jerusalem means? Salem, right? There's the end of it. What does Salem mean? Peace. Good for you. Jeru is city of. It is the city of peace. So here the beautiful picture is the newborn prince of peace is being taken to the city of peace. Because Jesus was born in what town? Bethlehem, the house of bread, the living, the bread of life. Now he's the prince of peace being brought into the city of peace. All these words mean something. And this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Malachi, or Malachi, that great Italian prophet, 400 years before all this happened, he prophesied that the baby would do this. It says, and the Lord whom you seek suddenly, like after his birth, immediately he will come into not the temple, it's his temple. The temple belongs to him. And of course, in the Old Testament, the temple was the temple of Jehovah God. And here, Jesus, the one fulfilling the prophecy, it says it's his temple. So is Jesus God? Yes, we've made that abundantly clear. I'm always stunned that people say, well, Jesus never actually claimed to be God. 
Jesus was very subtle about it, but he said several things that made it very super clear that he was God, and the scripture confirms it. It says that God would come into his temple, and here's Jesus in the temple as his parents are being obedient to the law. And they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Isn't this kind of ironic? Here's God the Father receiving the presentation of God the Son through the, through the actions of simple human beings. And just the, all the types that are being fulfilled in this are just astounding. But Jesus is being presented to the Lord, not because he's not the Messiah yet, it's because he is the Messiah. And so firstborn sons were presented to their fathers. That was a great thing in that, that culture. Exodus chapter 13 kind of confirms all this. The Lord said to Moses, as Moses is writing the law, right? He says, consecrate, set aside, make holy to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and beast, even the firstborn animals, they belong to who? They belong to God, okay? And see, what was interesting about that is before Moses wrote this down, before God ever commanded this, the firstborn was a big deal in all cultures. Now think about this. There's no government welfare. There's no, you know, food banks. People are out there in desert climates, and they are scratching together everything they can to survive. You're a young couple. Maybe you come from a poor family, and you have a baby. And like in a lot of cultures, even today, you're hoping it's a boy. Not because of some machoism, but because there's a lot of work to be done, and you need someone strong. And it'd be great if you have a strong boy, teenage boy, to help you do all this work so you can grow more crops so that you can actually survive. So in many cultures around the world, firstborn sons were such a blessing. And so, again, not that women were in fear or anything like that, but that was just a matter of survival. And God says, you know what? All those firstborns that you're counting on, they belong to me. Because people are like, man, our hope of our farm is in that son. He's the one that's going to inherit the farm. He's everything. He means the world to us. And God's like, okay, but don't forget who gave them to you. He's mine. Children are a heritage from the Lord. They, they are, we're not owners of our children. Who do they belong to? They belong to God. We are managers. And God says, hey, I'm going to loan this child to you for a few years, and I want you to bring them back in better shape than you found them. <laughs> I'm going to give them to you as a very selfish little brat who's going to cry and wake you up in the middle of the night and just scream that everybody do what they say. And I want you to take all that selfishness and train it out them to when they're a teenager, they're willing to be the one that's giving away and not the one receiving. And what kind of job are we doing, parents? I hope that we can send our kids out of our home and they're faithfully serving God. And God says, hey, good job. You did a good job with my kid. Because not just the firstborn, but they all belong to the Lord. We're just managers of them trying to do a good job. So here's what's beautiful in this passage right here. So in the Old Testament, as you remember, in the, in the Passover, a lamb would die so that all the firstborns lived. Remember that? Remember the 10th plague? There was a whole series of plagues as Moses is telling Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh's being stubborn, like, no, no. And so one plague after another, boom, boom, boom. All these bad things. The river turns into blood, frogs all over the place, lice, locusts, everything. Uh, darkness uh, all day long. All kinds of crazy things are happening. And God says, you know what, Pharaoh? You ready to play hardball? I'll play hardball. Your firstborn son's going to die. In fact, not just yours, because, okay, Pharaoh, his firstborn son, is not only the next king. He's the next god. They worshiped the, the Pharaoh. They thought he was a god. And so Pharaoh's son, God says, you know what? You don't let my people go? 
your son's going to die. In fact, everybody in Egypt, everybody all over the land, if they don't put blood on the door from that sacrificed lamb, the firstborn, I said he was mine, I'll take him back. And of course, Pharaoh in his stubbornness rebelled against God and his son paid the consequence. So in the Passover, a lamb would die so that all the firstborns could live. So everybody put blood on the door, their firstborn son survived. But watch this here. Jesus was the firstborn that died so that all of us could live. Jesus was the firstborn. Instead of being saved from death, he's the one that actually died in our place. So, and he's quoting here. He says, you know, just like it's written. And he's talking about Exodus. We just read. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy, consecrated, sanctified to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Now, what Exodus provided for, for the poor was if you could not afford to sacrifice a lamb when your firstborn son was, and you'd have a big party. You'd sacrifice a lamb. You'd have lamb chops for lunch. You'd go to this service. You'd have the child dedication, all that stuff like that. And Mary just was like, yeah, but we're poor. I'm like, okay, well, the law of Moses, Moses says, if you're poor, just go catch a couple of pigeons. Anybody can do that. You know, if you've been in the city, especially like up north, you see pigeons are everywhere. You go to downtown Houston, pigeons are everywhere. You can catch a couple of pigeons, sacrifice them. So what kind of family was Jesus born into? Middle class, upper middle class? No. If Jesus was born today, he'd been born in the hood, in the projects. Now, he would have been amongst the poorest of the poor. Joseph and Mary were very poor at this time. So let's move on to the prophecy of Simeon. Simeon's one of the old guys in the sunset of his life. So now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Righteous and devout. Righteous means everything he did was in a good way. He was honest. When he went to work, he worked hard. He didn't cheat his boss. When he told you something, you knew it was the truth. He was a righteous guy. And let me tell you why he was righteous, because he was devout. Devout means he was devoted to his spiritual religious life. He he was where he belonged. He needed to be in church. He was in worship. He was doing the right things. He was very devoted to God. And it was very obvious by his lifestyle. But a lot of people, they don't like that. They, 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 they don't like religion. Now, we often, you'll see in the last couple, 20 years, Christians will say things like, well, I'm not religious. You know, religion is man-made. And I understand what you mean. There is a lot of religion that's man-made. But James talks about pure religion that's undefiled. And, that, and there's a couple of positive terms about religion, so it's all what you do with it. If it's just a show, yeah, I hate religion too, okay? But there is pure religion that James talks about, and those who are practicing and, and have a discipline of life, a routine, that they worship on the first day of the week, that they, they pray, they read their Bible, they do all these religious things, but if you do it with the right heart, it is a good thing. But the world is thinking totally opposite of that nowadays. Uh, this, this actor here, uh, Ron Perlman, he says, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. You ever heard that before? People say this all the time. Um, uh, pop singer Brian Noclo, who's just really crazy, transgender type of person, whatever, I dressed up like a woman, wears lipstick. He says, I'm not religion, but I'm definitely very spiritual. Uh, Janet Jackson, same thing. I am not religious, but I am spiritual. You see a theme here? It goes on and on. Even this goes back to the Beatles for you old folks. Paul McCartney, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. It's like they're all quoting somebody. And I, I like this meme here. This is what I would want to say to them. It's like, uh, dudes be like, I'm spiritual, but 
De- I'd be like, demons are spiritual too. Be more specific, you know. Yet the spiritual is not necessarily a good thing for sure. You know what the problem is? When people say that over and over again, I'm not religious, I'm, but I am spiritual. They're saying, I don't want to be accountable to anybody. I want to do whatever I want to do. I don't want to be accountable to a community. You see, that's what Revolution Church is. We're a community of believers who follow Christ together. And guess what? There is some accountability. If, if I see Patrick not being nice to Stacey, I'm going to say, hey, brother, what's going on over there? You know, can we, can I, how can I pray for you? How can I encourage you to be a better husband, Patrick? And Patrick will say, hey, Gary, what's your teaching there? That's, I don't know if that's exactly right. And he's done that a time or two, right? He, we hold each other accountable. We're, that's what friends do. Friends don't let friends drive drunk, and friends don't let others, you know, friends do stupid things. We're accountable. That's what community is. And what's happening in America is we're becoming incredibly isolated to where we're not getting any help from anybody. We're loners, and depression is going through the roof because we are meant to be social creatures. Okay, dogs travel in packs, right? I'm not saying you're dogs, okay? There, most, there's a lot of creatures that when they travel together, when they live together, there's safety, there's security. Do you think God made us any different? We're not meant to be lone wolves that just pull into our driveway, push the garage door opener, pull into the drive, garage, walk into our kitchen. Nobody ever sees us. We don't know the person down the street, let alone two doors down. We need community. And with community comes accountability. If I start treating Tammy wrong, if I start treating Isaiah and Kaylin wrong, you're going to see it, and I'm, I'm accountable to you. And that's what people don't want. It's like I want to say whatever I want to say, do whatever I want to do, medicate myself, however I want to medicate, and I don't want anybody telling me I'm wrong. Who are you to judge me? And that's just, that's just wrong. And that's why they say this thing, well, I'm not religious, I'm, I'm, not religious. I'm just spiritual. And they say, they say even dumber phrases like, well, I, don't li- I just don't like organized religion. So you want disorganized religion? You know? Again, I'm not promoting churches that are just a show where everybody puts on a tie and acts all perfect when they're not. Man, if there was ever a church where you knew people weren't perfect, it's here, right? I mean, we, we've got more ba- baggage than Hobby Airport, right? Together, collectively. And yet that's the beauty of Revolution Church. The broken pieces that God puts together to make a mosaic that's just wonderful to see and that together we can serve God and grow together to be more like Christ. Verse 25 says, they were waiting for the consolation of Israel. This, uh, not they, but Simeon. Consolation. If someone's sad, you console them. Someone's in a difficult time, you offer them consolation. Israel is in a really difficult time. They're being oppressed. The Romans are not treating them well. They're taxing them like, you know, like craziness, but even the taxes wasn't the worst of the problems. If you just looked at a Roman soldier the wrong way, he could, he could put, you, put a rife through you. There was just all kinds of oppression and, and mistreatment. And it says, but the Holy Spirit was upon him. You know, we need to look into the scriptures carefully to understand what the Holy Spirit is and what the feeling of the Holy Spirit is. It is not goosebumps. It is not a feeling because there are times that you feel horrible and the world is dark, and the world is not going in the right direction. And that's where Simeon's at. And yet the Holy Spirit was upon him. Don't think that the Holy Spirit is upon you when life is going great, and look at me, I'm blessed, and I got a Rolex and a Mercedes. God is blessing me. God can bless you in the darkest of times. In fact, usually you choose to do that more so. I don't know anybody who says, oh yeah, you know that 
one year where I got this great job and they promoted me and I got a raise and I bought this big old house. That was when I felt closest to God. <laughs> no, you, that's when you felt God was Santa Claus. You, let me tell you, this weekend was rough. I, I, Tammy called me like 7 in the morning. I went home, took Caitlin home, and uh, we thought Isaiah was doing great. She calls me early in the morning. And she says, Gary, get up here as soon as possible. She said his heart rate is dropping. It went from 74 to 41, just dropping. She said, they're losing blood. They don't know why. And I got up there. I'm crying most of the drive up there. And I'm thinking, God, I don't understand what's going on, but I know you're good. I know you're good. And this weekend, your pastor got even closer to God. And was it because, oh, look at me. God gave me a Mercedes. It was, you know what? God put me on my face to plead for the life of my son. And God's saying, that's where I need you, on your knees. And then guess what? I get to praise God and give my wife a big hug when he's okay and everything's good. But it is, you have to go through those hard times. And you know what, parents? Here's the biggest mistake we make. We protect our kids from the hard times. Oh, that coach didn't start you? We're going to quit. We'll go somewhere else. Oh, you didn't get a home run today? We'll just go buy you some ice cream. And we're just constantly just pampering our kids and say, you know what? Life is tough. Let's deal with it. I'm your dad. Let's go through this together. But I'm not going to always move you along and protect you from every little thing and every little teacher. Used to be you got in trouble at school. What, Don? You got in trouble at home. Today you get in trouble for school. I'm going to get that teacher fired. How dare they think my little kid is not perfect? Your kids need to go through difficult times. You need to be there with them, but don't protect them from them. Here, Israel needed consolation. They were going through a difficult time, but guess what? The Holy Spirit was just as much there as he was when King David was ruling the world. So here we see the Holy Spirit. It's the, the, the language there is, could say upon or in. It's not a difference. You know how I've taught you before that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was, came upon people. But man, we have the amazing blessing of the Holy Spirit doesn't just come upon us. He comes inside of us. So we just saw earlier that John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit in the mother's womb. Elizabeth full of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16, it gives us some really good advice here at Revolution Church. It says, but I say, walk in the Spirit. Walk as a reference to your lifestyle. As you go through life, you should go through life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? There's a really good sign there of if you're walking in the Spirit, guess what you're not doing? You're not gratifying the desires of the flesh. Can you think of your worst habit? What's that one sin that you wish you could quit? <laughs> What's that one sin that you are just really tired of asking God for forgiveness for you, like you feel so stupid? Okay? The cure is walking in the Spirit. Now, what does that look like? Again, I'm not talking about goosebumps or a certain feeling when your favorite radio station comes on KSBJ or whatever. I'm talking about when you're in the Word and you can tell the Spirit is starting to teach you about, and, it, and you can just saw, your eyes are opening up and you're meditating on God's word, you're praying over God's word, you're communicating with God, and then those thoughts stay with you through the day. And at four o'clock in the afternoon, when some customer looks at you crossways, and you're like, what was that about? You remember what you just read that morning. And it's be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, let your request be known to God. Well, I'm not going to get anxiety about this person looking at me wrong. I'm going to rest on the Word of God. That is walking in the Spirit because the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. He uses the Word of God. He guides your steps through the day. And that's how we get victory. And here's where Simeon is at. He's definitely in the Spirit. And it had been revealed to him. Okay? It had been. Past tense. 
This is something that happened. We don't know how early in life, but the Holy Spirit made it very clear to him. Simeon, you're going to die someday, but guess what? You're going to be one of those special people. You actually get to see the Messiah with your own eyes before you die. So Simeon's like, his wife's like, hey, be careful out there. You might die. And it's like, no, I'm not. I haven't seen the Messiah yet. <laughs> I'm not going to die. I haven't seen the Messiah yet. So he's going through life then, you know. But then I think, much is my guess on this, don't quote me on this. I'm just saying, I think that he is getting sick and he is getting ill. And it's like, I got to hold on because I got to see the Messiah. I got to hold on because you'll see he'll short, die shortly after this. He said, he said, now I can go. <laughs> I can go. He was obviously ready to go, not because he just wanted to go, but I think he physically needed to go because he was dying, but God kept him alive. And it's interesting. Have you ever noticed someone who was on their deathbed and it seemed like they were just hanging on, hanging on? And then whenever the, what they were hanging on for happened, my mom, when she was, when she was on her deathbed, with emphysema, <clears throat> and the doctors gave her days to live. My niece, Beth, which was her granddaughter, which she was really close to, she actually lived with her while she was attending the University of Delaware, and they became really close. They're like, Beth is on her way, Mom. Beth is on her way. And so, but it was going to take a long drive from Florida up to Delaware, and so she couldn't get there that day, and then she got delayed, and so it was like a day and a half before Beth got there. And Beth went in with my mom. She hugged her. She cried with her. And the next morning, my mom was gone. It's like she was holding on for days for Beth. And then when she finally got to see Beth, I think Simeon's holding on for Jesus, holding on for Jesus. But you know what? That, that kind of hope will keep you alive. And in a world where we feel like <laughs> everything is dying around us, our hope is in Jesus Christ. That when we see him, he's seeing him for the first time. We get to see Jesus at his second coming. And so we need to hold on and let that be our hope, just like that was what gave life to Simeon. And it says, and he came in the spirit of the temple. You see, Luke, more than any other gospel, talks about the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. And you'll see this theme repeated. So remember when Jesus, after his baptism, what does it say? He was led by the spirit into the wilderness. So here's Simeon. He's been led by the spirit into the temple because this is where God wanted him to be, to see the Messiah. And when the parents, who are the parents? Joseph and Mary, right? Mary and Joseph brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the law. So they're going to dedicate him to the, to the Lord as the, the scriptures require. It says, and he, Simeon, took him up in his arms. We have no reason to believe that Joseph and Mary knew this old guy. They're walking up to the temple with all these other people for worship. There's probably several other people that are dedicating babies. And this old guy goes, excuse me for a second, can I hold your baby? <laughs> um, sure. And this old guy, and maybe they know Simeon, maybe they didn't. But he took them and said, oh God, thank you for the Messiah. And Mary and Joseph like, he knows. How does he know? I don't, there's no record of any conversation. And because of this and several other passages, you remember, remember Jesus was, was preaching and teaching and people started bringing their kids to him? And what did Peter and all the Gestapo say? Oh, no, no, no. Jesus don't have time for children. You know, back off, parents. And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, stop, stop, stop. Bring the little kids to me. And he holds one of them and says, hey, don't you know this is what the kingdom of heaven is about? You guys need to become like this to even get into my kingdom. And they're like, what, really? And so that's why I love, one of my favorite times here, here is when we do baby dedications. I love that. I and mean, our last one was amazing. And just to be able to pray over children of all ages and bless them just like Simeon did. You know, just like Jesus did for the children. 
because, and I love that in our church we've got children all over the place, and this is probably a good time for you guys to be in service today. You know, there's two things you can tell in a healthy church. Men singing and babies crying. Whenever you stop hearing one of those two, your church is on the way down, okay? But I love hearing kids cry in our church. It's no problem. They're not a distraction. They're, they're, they're not just the future of our church. They are our church, and they're such a blessing. And this is what Simeon, he takes the baby Jesus, and he blesses God and blesses the baby. He says, Lord, now <laughs> you're letting your service depart, depart in peace. He, he knew he's going to die soon. I would not be surprised. Again, we'll find out when we get to heaven. We can bet a Coke on it. I think Simeon went home, laid in his bed, and went to heaven. He said, your servant depart in peace. And that's the key. There's, you can read, Google story after story of famous atheists, even like Charles Darwin, on their deathbed, and they are not departing in peace. Charles Darwin on his deathbed, devout atheist, angry at God because his daughter died, that's why he came up with all this evolution junk and everything like that. On his deathbed, he's like, no, God, no, no. And then he dies. That's not departing in peace. Simeon departed in peace. And let me tell you, the only way that you will not depart from this life, the only way, the way you're going to depart from this life is if you know Jesus. He saw Jesus and he departed in peace. Have you seen Jesus? I don't mean physically, but have you seen Jesus revealed in the scriptures? Have you come to know him as your Lord and Savior? That is your only hope of departing in peace. If you do not, I'm here to warn you this morning that you will depart in torment. You will depart with nothing but punishment. And you're saying, well, why would God do that to me? No, God is saying, you should be praying, not your will but mine. But what you do with your life is, no, not, God, not your will, God, but mine. And God says, okay, you don't want me in your life? Then let me, let, let, I'll let you have that for all eternity. You say, well, then why all the suffering? Because everything that's separated from God is not good. So everything that is not good is what you experience because it goes together. God is good and everything that goes with God is good. So if you want to say, I don't want God, then you, you say no to daylight. You say no to comfort. You say no to fresh air. You're saying no to all that. And that's what hell is, is you want every bit of God gone from your life. Simeon goes on and says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon even though he was a very good man, he knew he was a sinner. And he knew he needed to be saved from his sin. And now he sees, literally, this is the child who is born to die for me. What the, how did Simeon know that? Every book in the Old Testament points to it. From the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, a man will be born of the seed of woman. And he will have his heel bruised, but he will crush the head of the serpent. Yeah, basically, he will suffer a wound, but he will wound the devil. And you see all throughout the Old Testament. Moses and the sacrificial lamb that we just got done talking about. Who is that a picture of, people? It's a picture of Jesus. Jesus came to die. All the prophets knew it. Simeon knew his Bible. Verse 31 says that you have prepared, you've prepared this salvation in this baby in the presence of just Jewish people? No, all peoples, plural. Not all people, peoples, and as in all ethnic groups. Look around you this morning. Hispanic, black, white, Asian, all in the same place, worshiping God. Did you know that every church in the New Testament was diverse? That's why it's disturbing in America. The most segregated time in our country is about Sunday morning. There's the white church, the black church, the Chinese church, the Filipino church, all just over together. Right down the road, there's an Indian church. 
You won't see a single black person there, a single Hispanic person there that I know of. It's like, it's like we love our ethnic group. I'm not trying to dog them. I'm just saying, that's not the way God... Is that what heaven's going to look like? No. Did you know, whatever ethnic, ethnicity you are, that's what you will be for eternity? God did not make a mistake, okay? You don't have to be Michael Jackson to try to transition to another race or something like that. You, you can be whatever God created you to be for the, all eternity. And that's, we're going to be singing in our languages. That's going to be great in heaven. We're going to hear people sing in, in Tagala, in, uh, in Spanish, in English. And finally, finally, Gary will learn some more Spanish. Mi Espanol es muy poquito. My, my Espanol would be muy grande. Okay? And that'll be wonderful in heaven. We'll know all kinds of languages. We'll be speaking in tongues like left and right because of all the languages we, we've learned there. And it says that this child, this light, is a, a revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon saw this. Do you know at this time so many Jews were so racist against the Gentiles? He's like, no, this baby came for the Gentiles. And all the Gentiles said... Amen. Aren't you glad? Because almost everybody in this room is a Gentile. And it says, not just for the Gentiles, but also for your people, the glory for your people. And so salvation has come for his people. And this goes back to what I was teaching you a few weeks ago. Israel is God's chosen people. And this is even the lost people of Israel are God's chosen people ethnically. Now, if they die without Christ, will they go to hell? Yes. There's not two plans of salvation. Jews and Gentiles need to accept Christ. But what's happening over in Gaza today, Israel being attacked and babies being slaughtered. Do you know, Israel, when they retaliated, they dropped flyers over Gaza and said, hey, we're about to bomb this building here and this building here and this building here. We want all the civilians to get out. And Hamas would not let the people out. They used women and children as human shields. And then when Israel bombed certain buildings... And civilians die, like always happens, collateral damage in war. Then Hamas says, oh, look, Israel's killing women and children. Hamas went in and purposely went after women and children. They held up babies and slit their throats right in front of their parents. Sorry to be graphic this morning, but that's what's happening. That's satanic. All throughout Israel's history, they've always been the victim because Satan always wants to attack God's people. Um, the diversity matters. In fact, there was an article written by Re Rebecca McLaughlin in, back in 2019 about, about the, the movement of Christianity. And here's the quote. Christianity is the most diverse movement in history. That is a fact. That's not an opinion. When people say Christianity is a white man's religion, I'm like, have you seen Christianity today? Christianity is exploding in Africa. It is exploding in South America. It is dying where there's white people. It is not a white man's religion. There are more people of color in the kingdom of God than there are white people. Don't give me, I don't care what professor at University of Texas tells you those lies. That is just a lie. It's to get you to just hate what's going on here in America because we are found in, as a Christian country. Christian around the world. Frank, he ha, basically has an underground church. And there, as he prayed for, has a believer in prison right now for being a Christian. And yet, you know what's happening in China? The church is exploding. There are more Christians in China than there are people in the United States. 360 million Christians in China. There's only 314 million people in America. Don't tell me Christianity is a white man's religion, okay? It's for all of us, okay? It, it has been a multicultural, multiracial, multiethnic movement since its inception. Dr. Tim Keller says this, every major religion in the world, Buddhism, Islam, Shintoism, Hinduism, all, you name one, 
every major in the world has at least 80% of its adherents, followers, in close proximity of the place where it's founded. So where was Islam founded? In the, in the Arab nations. Where is 80% of Muslims live? Right there. Buddhism, where is it founded? Northern India, southern China border. Where are most Buddhists live? Over in that part of Asia. In fact, here's a map that kind of shows you that. See the different colors? The red is Islam. The green and the dark green are two different types of Buddhism. The orange is Hinduism. Look at the blue. Christianity all over the globe. Christianity is not about one ethnicity. In fact, Muslims believe that you cannot read the Quran truly unless you're reading it in Arab. But the Bible translates to every language. And it's the word of God in Tagalog. It's the word of God in Mandarin. It's the word of God in Portuguese. It's the word of God in Texan. It's the word of God wherever you go. Okay? It's not meant for one. That's why, the, why Christianity has spread, because it truly is for all mankind and for all creation, because it's the creator who created this religion, not a man. It goes on to say, and his father and his mother, it is interesting, it doesn't say Joseph and his mother, it says his father and his mother. Joseph is the foster father of Jesus. He's not the, the biological father. They marveled. Now, was any of this news to them? Did not Gabriel tell them at the beginning that Jesus is, is God in human flesh? He'll grow up, he'll die for the sins of the people. I mean, all, was all this not made clear, not just from Gabriel, but from all the Old Testament? Did Simeon say anything new? No, but guess what? It's one thing to know God's word, and it's another thing just seeing it fulfilled right in front of your very face. I mean, here is a prophet holding our baby, telling him, yeah, he's, this, he's the Messiah. I mean, I'm sure there are times that when... Mary and Joseph were raising Jesus like, did we dream the whole angel thing? I mean, you, you did remember that, right? I mean, is this real? Is this really happening to us? And what's amazing, people, the more you're in God's word, then when you see it actually promises coming true at your job, in your family, in your marriage, with your kids, you're like, you marvel. Like, I know God said it, but we're actually seeing this come true. We're actually praying for God to heal someone and they're healed. We're actually God for praying that the church... Would the, that God would give us a building. And here we are. I mean, we, you just see things happen and it makes you stop and marvel. Let me caution you. When you stop marveling, your walk with the Lord is dying. We should be like amazed with what God's doing left and right. Okay? And I'm not talking about blessings, you know, like immaterial things. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about God's hand at work in our lives on a regular basis. So now Simeon he blessed them. So he's blessed God. He's blessed the baby. Now he's blessing them. And it says, and Mary, his mother, said, behold, I'm sorry, he said to Mary's mother, it's interesting, he says this to Mary. And when I was studying this week, I'm like, he didn't say, he blessed them, but then he turns and talks to Mary. I'm like, why is this? Anybody have a guess? We don't know what happened to Joseph, but in Jesus' ministry, he was out of the picture. A lot of people believe that Joseph was in his late 20s when Mary was in her mid-teens, which was not uncommon in those days. There was nothing wrong with it back then. And people matured a lot faster and all that. But something happened to Joseph where he died. And somehow Simeon knows this. Well, how does Simeon know this? The Holy Spirit of God is telling him. So this is a message from Mary because Joseph won't even be in the picture. So this child is appointed. And it, this, is, this is not the mushy Jesus that everybody talks about. He's here for the fall 
of many people. A lot of people are going to fall down because of this baby. But there's going to be many others that will rise up. It, it's, a, it's a sword. It's coming to divide people. There will be those who will be for Jesus. There will be those who will be against them. And it says, it says and this baby is here. It says, it says a sign. God is saying, here is God with us. Here is salvation. And guess what? It's going to be opposed. It's funny. You can talk about being spiritual. And people are cool with that. You can even talk about God or a higher power. And people are cool, cool, cool with that. But as soon as you start saying the name of Jesus, people are like, oh, well, that's offensive. And don't, don't bring your personal religion in here. You know, People get offended. They are opposed to, to God. They're opposed specifically to Jesus. Romans chapter 1 talks about those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, here's the truth in their face, and they're like, no, no, keep that stuff away. I've even, you've probably seen this too. You start talking to people about the Lord, and they will literally put up their hands as if they could stop your words. Like, no, no, I don't want to hear that stuff. It's funny how Jesus, because he is the light, it's like when you go into a really run-down house, you turn on the light, what happens is roaches scatter. That's what happens when you bring up Jesus. They don't like the light. They don't want to hear about it. You and I were that way when we were lost. So don't, don't start judging lost people. Start loving them. Let the light shine on their, their sin. Be that light. Jesus says, you're the light of the world. He also says, I'm the light of the world. So let's make that light work together. David Guzik, one of my favorite theologians, says this. A sign is literally a target that people shoot at. When it says that Jesus was a sign that people will oppose, Jesus would be the target of great evil. And we definitely saw that fulfilled 30 years after, 33 years after this part of the story. And it says, and a sword will pierce through your own, soul, your own soul also. A sword. What's the prophet's name? Simeon. Who's he named, named after? Simeon, one of the 12 sons of the 12 tribes of Israel. What did Simeon and Levi do wrong? Yeah, they re got revenge when their sister was raped. They went in there and they murdered all the men in the town with swords. And it's like saying, hey, Kind of ironic, your name is Simeon, but guess what? A sword's going to pierce through your own soul. Now, is he talking to Simeon? Well, Simeon's the one talking here. I think he's talking to Mary. He's saying, Mary, your child's going to be a blessing, but guess what? You're going to be cut to the heart. Because you're going to literally watch your son die on a cross. I mean, can you imagine? She raises the perfect child, like literally, <laughs> the perfect child. I mean, she got Mother of the Year contest every year. She, she was the winner, right? I had the perfect child, you know. But then to watch that perfect child who had done nothing wrong, nothing, and they're treating him like an animal, beating him. And Mary doesn't hide from this. She watches the whole thing. And do you not think she felt, she would have probably rather had a sword go through her heart than to experience what she did. He said, hey, Mary, Jesus is coming. He's, people are going to be against him, and it's going to cut people, and it's going to go through your own heart. So, and here's why. So that the thoughts from many hearts should be revealed. When you talk to people about Jesus, it reveals their heart. You start talking about, hey, and people say, how are you doing today? You say, man, I'm doing good. I'm, God is so good to me. Bob will, Bob will say, what, Bob, what is it you say, always say at work? You were saying, um, I'm thankful. He would say, I'm thankful. Say, what are you thankful for? And then he'd just go off on how good God was, you know. And then, of course, a lot of us like to quote Dave Ramsey, you know, I'm better than I deserve. People like, what do you mean you're better than you deserve? And he start talking about how good Jesus is. And the believers will be like, oh yeah, isn't he? Isn't that great? When we went to <clears throat> the, um, when the ambulance people came to pick up Isaiah to transport him there, 
we were just joking about music. I said, yeah, on the radio, put on some country music for Isaiah. Isaiah hates country music, like his dad. Anyway, and they started laughing about it. He said, well, what kind, of, what kind of music do you like, Isaiah? And he said, I like Christian hip-hop. And they go, Christian hip-hop? Really? Yeah, he said, I like music, it's about Jesus. He goes, oh, and they start saying, oh, yeah, that's great. That's like, and so they're revealing their heart, what they thought about Jesus. If they hate Jesus, they'd be like, oh, man. But the way you reveal it is you let the light of Jesus shine, and it reveals people's hearts. It goes on to say in Luke 20, 20 chapters later, or 18 chapters later, everyone who falls on that stone, who is that stone? Jesus. Watch, there's two types of people here, and there's one stone, two types of people. Everyone who falls on that stone is broken to pieces. But everyone, and, and, and when it falls on anyone, here's the rock, fall on them. What does it do? It crushes them. So you got two choices for eternity. Be broken or be crushed. Now think about that. In this life, you will either be broken or you'll be crushed. You either fall on Jesus and you fall apart and let him put you back together. Or you say, no, no, this is my life. And then at judgment, the stone crushes you. You see, that's the part we don't like to hear. We're like, I like my life. I like doing things my way. I just want Jesus as a nice little addition to it, you know? I'm the little league mom over here. I've got this job over here. I've got my home over here. And I've got Jesus over here. I just like my life rearranged this way. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm not part of your life. I am your life. All your plans need to go away. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. You have a little cottage, and you ask Jesus to come in and to, to decorate the place and make it nicer. And Jesus comes in with a sledgehammer, starts smashing down walls. You're like, wait, wait, Jesus, slow down. What are you doing? He's like, no, no. And he starts just tearing things apart and smashing windows and making it all... Everything, breaking them, and you're like, what are you doing in my cottage? He said, I'm building you a mansion. But we don't like the little cottage to be torn down. We want to keep it. And God has something bigger for us. But the only way he can build us a mansion is if he deconstructs the cottage. But we, we don't like that. So here is Simeon holding this little baby. This is an actual photograph the archaeologists found. No, just kidding. And he, he is at the sunset of his life, and yet he's beholding the sunrise the S-O-N, sunrise. So then we move to the prophecy of Anna. <clears throat> Anna's also old. She's in the sun and side of her life. She is a prophetess. That brings up an interesting sub subject. Uh, we are not a traditional church in many ways. We're not trying to be rebellious. We think there's good traditions and there's bad traditions. But Jesus said, you know, he rebuked the Pharisees. He says, you know, you uphold the traditions of men rather than the doctrine of God. So when the tradition conflicts God's word, we have to bow to God's word. And a lot of traditional churches from some of our backgrounds, like women aren't allowed to do anything, you know. But you'll see a revolution church. Women read the scripture. They pray. They do all kinds of things. Their leadership positions are on our finance team. We do believe the scripture teaches that women aren't pastors or elders, but you do see prophetess, you do see deaconess, you see a lot of things. A lot of traditional churches, they don't want to talk about that. They don't, they don't talk about deaconess, they'll talk about any of those things. But this lady, she's, she's a prophetess, okay? That doesn't mean she's married to a prophet, she, she prophesies as well. And you, don't, you see in the Bible, women are not demoted like other religions of the world, okay? What's so ironic is when, I hate to go back to the news again, but when Hamas attacked Israel, some of the people in the LGBT crowd were cheering on Hamas. And I'm like, do you realize if they attack America, you'll be the first people they kill? Do you know in, in Palestine, if they find out you're homosexual, they literally walk you up to a 10-story building, they throw you off the roof. Literally. 
And so what is the co- what's the coincidence that here I'm transgender, but I'm for the killing of Israel? It's both on the demonic side is what it is, just to be really blunt with it. I'll probably get in trouble for saying that, but go ahead, send me an email. And so she's prophesying here, and it talks about his ba- her background. There's a lot of details about her. And it says, and she was a widow until she was 84 years old. So she probably got married around 16. Her and her husband were married for seven years, and then he died. And then she's now 84. She's been a widow for a long time. And again, there's no Social Security. There's no welfare program for widows. A lot of widows, would, young widows, would turn to prostitution, would turn to begging. She turned to God. She said, I'm just going to go hang out at the temple. I'm going to serve God. If people help me, they help me. If they don't, they don't. A lot of times people would come in, they give part of their offering to, to Anna to help her. And so she's at the temple. She's worshiping. She's fasting. And she's praying. She's doing all the right things. She doesn't have a government to trust and take care of her. She doesn't have a husband to take care of her. In this culture, she would be utterly helpless. But she knows that God's there to help her. Look, look at this right here. <clears throat> she's got dedication, devotion, and discipline. Dedication, devotion, and discipline. Her dedication is to the right place where God's people meet in the temple. You need to be connected to a Bible-believing church. It, it, it's good to have you all here in town with us. They're from Abilene. And, uh, but they thought, we could, we could sit home, but they're going to go to church. If you're on vacation, you go to San Antonio, go to church. If God moves you to New Mexico, go to church. Everywhere you go, find a Bible-believing church and dedicate yourself to that. Anna was dedicated to be in the right place in the temple where, with God's people. And then, let's see, the next thing, she had devotion. There we go. That was to the right activity, worshiping. Don't just go to temple and just sit there. <laughs> Worship. You're in the right place. Do the right thing. Worship God. Our church's mission statement is worship God passionately, love people genuinely, start a revolution. And we believe we do those three things. We're serving God. We're pleasing Him. And worshiping God passionately. And then the third thing is discipline. To do the, to do the right habits. She's fasting and she's praying. Those two go together a lot. I could preach a whole message about that, but I won't. So she's dedicated, she's devoted, she's disciplined. And when they had, had performed everything according to the law, again, Jesus is fulfilling the law without even knowing it as an infant. And they returned to Galilee, their own town of Nazareth. So all this, they came to be taxed, they went home. So we see the presentation of Jesus, the prophecy of Simon, and the prophecy of Anna. And now we move to the progression of Jesus. I had to search for a word that describes this right. I wanted to say the development of Jesus but he didn't really develop because he was deity. But yet at the same time, it's ironic. He was 100% God, amen? But he was also 100% human. So he had to grow. He had to learn how to walk. Jesus stumbled and fell. Jesus got questions wrong on his math test. Jesus, Jesus never sinned, but making mistakes and stumbling and falling as you're learning stuff is not a sin. So Jesus had to grow and develop. This is what the Bible says. And the child grew and became strong. He was weak at one time. He became weak for us so that we could become strong. He, was, he became filled with wisdom. He had to learn things. And he also grew in favor of God. The favor of God was upon him. So what, let me ask you a question. Look at these, these three phrases here. What three categories do you see there? What do you see? Okay, yes, somebody said it. Physically, mentally, spiritually. Jesus had to grow all this way. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying Jesus is not God. I'm saying, but when he became a baby, he had to develop in all these ways and yet without sin. 
So, let me ask you the question this morning. Are you developing, are you progressing physically, mentally, and spiritually? We as human beings, we stink at balance. We stink at it. We could be all spiritual, but man, we couldn't run a mile if it saved our life. <laughs> and then we could be all physically fit, but we don't know any scripture at all. You know, or we can be, we can be all, I know everything, I got great grades, but no character at all. It just, we stink at balancing all three of these. Jesus did. Again, here's Jesus doing what we are not able to do. And all, all, will you be all three of these for eternity? Do you realize you're still the whole package in heaven? You will spend eternity somewhere physically, in heaven or hell. You will spend somewhere eternity mentally. You will be aware of where you are. Hinduism, Buddhism, all of them teach that when you die, you just kind of go into the great ocean and you're not even well aware of yourself anymore. You will be fully aware of who you are and where will you spend eternity spiritually. It's all about do you know Christ or do you not. You see, all this is possible. Let me read one of my favorite passages of Scripture as we close here. 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. I'm going to tell you something amazing here that you didn't understand before, but now you can understand. We shall not all sleep. In other words, we're not going to stay dead, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead that will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body, it's perishing, amen? Okay, must put on imperishable. Someday we have a body that will not perish. And this mortal body must put on what, everybody? Immortality. Anybody eager for that? Sounds good to me. Verse 54 says, And when the, this perishable body puts on imperishable, and this mortal person puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the, the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. I am, I'm tired of seeing people die. <laughs> How about you? There was a stretch here a while back where in a two and a half year span, 10 people very close to me died. I did eight of the 10 funerals. That was a rough two and a half years. And then I read this verse right here. Death, you're just swallowed up. <laughs> Jesus has our victory. He rose from the dead and we will live forever with him. So sin destroys all these things. It, it hurts us physically. Our aches and pains, what Isaiah just went through, what you're going through, it's because of sin. Not just your sin, like you, you did something wrong, but Adam's sin. We're all cursed. Our babies get sick. They haven't done anything wrong. Sin messes up us mentally. We think more negative thoughts than we think positive. Sin messes up, up spiritually, which is the biggest problem. But guess what? Here's the good news. The wages of sin is death. Yeah, that's what you deserve because of sin. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans also says in chapter 10, verse 9, that if you personally will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, yes, Lord, I give you my life. Become the boss of everything I am. And I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead because you died for me, you were buried, you rose again. If you do those two sides of that same coin, turn it all over to Jesus, accept his payment for your sin, repent of your sin, you will be saved. Have you surrendered to Jesus? Have you just put up your hands and say, I give up? Lord, you take it all. You gave your life for me, I give my life to you. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you so much for Jesus, for this baby Jesus that Simeon saw with his own eyes, that Anna saw with her own eyes, 
and that Joseph and Mary marveled at. We marvel at Jesus this morning as well, that he would live a perfect life and then die a death that he didn't even deserve, all because he loved me, all because he loved each one of us. Father, if there's here this morning or watching online someone who's never put their faith in you, I pray they would do it today. I, I pray that they realize that they're a sinner who needs a Savior and that Jesus is the only one who could do that and that he'd give everything to him and they would accept the forgiveness that he offers. Father, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you still have questions about becoming a Christian, there's my number. Text me, call me, email me, whatever you want. And uh, if you've made that decision today to trust Christ, I'd love to hear from you. Um, can you think of someone you, you know that maybe needs to hear a message like this? There's several of the, the cards out there. And right on the back of them is a QR code. They could hear a message about the gospel with their phone. So take some of those cards and pass them out. Amanda, would you help me with a question and answer this morning? Looks like we may have some already. Is my mic not working or I can't hear myself? Is it working okay? All right. Here you go. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Really good. Thank you. Okay. Question number one. Verse 35 is a beautiful parallel to Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Yeah. Very good. The word of God is a sword, and a sword can hurt you, or a, a surgeon's scalpel can help you, right? And they're both super sharp, both cut to the heart. I, one thing, quick comment about that verse says, the word of God is alive and powerful. I always cringe when people say, oh, I love the chosen. It makes the word of God come alive. I'm like, nah. I love the chosen too, but the word of God's already alive, okay? And people say things like that. Something makes the word of God come alive. No, it's already alive, but that's, I, I digress interesting question here okay revolution church is a non-denominational church right yes we do not have a headquarters we are independent unaffiliated church uh we are elder led we have four elders working on adding to that so we have a certain type of theology um some would call it baptistic but by and that word scares a lot of people that's why it's not in our title but here's all i mean by baptist we believe that salvation is by grace through faith alone that you're not saved by good works. I grew up in a church where you're told, be a good boy and you'll go to heaven. We're, we're like, we don't believe that's true. What also makes us baptistic, if you'll use that word, is we don't baptize babies. Lutherans do, Methodists do, Episcopals do, Catholics do. But nowhere in the Bible is a baby ever baptized. In fact, you see the opposite. People weren't allowed to be baptized until they could understand the gospel. So that also makes us baptistic. I'll use that word. Um, another thing is we also believe in the eternal security of the believer, that salvation is of the Lord, that he who began a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. So if you're not good enough to be saved, you can't be good enough to stay saved. If salvation is of the Lord and not of you, what he does, he does right. Now, there are all kinds of people who claim to be saved but live like the devil. Those are the people Jesus says on the judgment day, depart from me, I never knew you. It's not like I knew you, but then you backslid. No, I never knew you because you were never the real deal. So that's another thing that makes us that way. But yes, we are uh, technically a non-denominational church because we don't have a headquarters. We're not part of a convention or a district or anything like that. Since Anna and Simeon were in the temple every day for years, it's likely that Mary and Joseph had seen them in previous years since they would go to Jerusalem at least once a year for Passover, possibly their whole lives. And likely 
knew who they were if they didn't know them personally. Must have been strange for old Anna and old Simeon to come straight up to them and the baby. Yeah. Um, again, keep in mind, Jerusalem's about 280,000 people. So going to the temple, like with everybody else, with tens of thousands of Jews, doesn't mean you know everybody. It's like small town. Oh, hey, there's Simeon again. So maybe they didn't know him. Maybe they didn't. We don't know. It's, it's all speculation right now. You can ask me when you get to heaven. Any other questions? Michaela. Jimmy Moya? Okay, yes, we will. Okay. All right, we'll pray for him. We also need to pray for Miss Reva. Her health, um, she was in the hospital a couple of days this past week. That's our pastor emeritus's wife, for those of you who knew. Anything else big we could pray for? All right. And Isaiah. So, um, would you lead us in prayer, Amanda? Um, for Jimmy Moy's brother, do we know his first name? Stephen. Okay. And for Miss Reva and for Isaiah. And uh, let's stand and pray together as an. Father, we just thank you for just loving us so much, Lord. Um, we thank you, Lord, that we can be gathered here together, Lord, and we're going to use this opportunity, Father, just to lift these individuals up to you. First of all, Stephen, Lord, you know exactly what is going on with Stephen, Father. You are the God of all creation, the God of everything. You know everything that is going on, Lord. So we just know that something's going on. We just ask, Father, that your will be done in this situation, Lord. Um, it's definitely a comfort to have family there, Father. So if you want to give Jimmy the right words to say to help his brother or put somebody else there just to help the situation, we know overall, Father, that you're in control, you're handling this situation, and that you're working it out for your good, Lord. And we thank you for that. We also thank you, Father, for just watching over um, Sister Reva. She is just struggling with her health, Lord. I know that we all uh, have the same demise, uh, just like Pastor was preaching this morning. We know at some point we're all going to go, Lord, but we're just asking, Father, that, again, your will be done here. And, Father, just please... <sighs> this is human Amanda asking this we just ask for no suffering Lord no pain father as she's going through these trials with her health Lord we just ask that you continue just to bring her through this we're all here for a reason so we just ask you father to um, continue to let that light shine through sister Reva and help us all to be a comfort to that family and to sister Reva we also thank you Lord just for intervening in the health of Isaiah um, this was something that happened suddenly Lord but um, you are also God of, of, again, just everything, and including things that happen suddenly. So we're just thanking you for his continued healing. And, um, you know, as he just continues to get better, we're thanking you, Father, just for everything. But most of all, just that your, your will be done and that we accept your will, Father, as it happens. Amen.